Welcome to Bank of Singapore Unplugged. Um, thank you, everybody. I'm actually a little surprised being in Singapore that China got such a low mark. <laughs> so I guess that's why I'm here to explain a little bit about what is going on in China. Um, but first, I'm going to give you a little bit about uh, information about what it is that I've been working on because I feel it's very important when you talk to people who claim to be China watchers, that you understand their background and whether or not they actually worked in China. <laughs> so I am actually American-born Chinese with Taiwanese background who lives in Shanghai. So I call myself a cat, Chinese-American-Taiwanese. And in 2006, I had the, I guess, destiny called, and I started to work on putting together what became the first public dialogues between US and Chinese government officials on clean energy. And today, that seems a lot more impossible than it was even a decade and a half ago. This led to a whole series of very interesting journeys for me. One is we catalyzed clean energy, because at that time there was no clean energy. And in three years, China became the leading investor in clean energy around the world. After this forum that I put on, which at the time was called the MIT Forum on the Future of Energy in China, I was asked by the US government to bring in a new technology called Smart Grid into China to open up their markets. Within two and a half years, China announced $7.2 billion commitment to implement Smart Grid across the country by 2020. At the same time, after this conference, I was asked by the Vice Minister of the Ministry of Housing and Urban Rural Development, Chou Baoxing, to bring in curriculum or to create the curriculum for mayors across the country on how to build eco-cities. Over time, we trained 1,000 mayors and central government officials and created essentially what became the largest developments in any country for eco-cities. Now, together, we have over 500 smart city pilots and many other things that have come from this. So I'm going to today, in my very short 20 minutes, give you just a few anecdotes of what I think are the next acupuncture points that you as an investor might be interested in looking at. One of the things that I realized after helping bring in seven China-wide changes from smart grid, clean energy, eco-cities, green bonds, LED lighting, et cetera, et cetera, even the national slogan, China Dream, is, is that there's a certain momentum that you can detect. And that momentum in these new industries in China only take three years to create China-wide changes. So there's a pattern. So I'm going to use some of these examples to show you as an investor what you might want to be looking for. We've talked about net zero. China made a commitment worldwide to go net zero by 2060. That's even a bigger deal than peaking emissions by 2030 or earlier. And I'm not gonna go into detailed statistics today because I only have 20 minutes, but I just wanna show you this ridiculous curve 
right? I mean, think about how much energy China is using. It's the largest emissions producer in the world, and it has committed to doing this curve. And anybody that knows anything about technology knows that this is, this is very, very hard to implement. So can they do it? I think one of the answers is going to lie in hydrogen. Now, this is something that a lot of countries are just starting to look at. I was with minister in, uh, of Netherlands at Davos this year, and they were talking very excitedly about just looking into hydrogen. China, on the other hand, had already has announced, with, together with six ministries, a long-term plan by 2035 what hydrogen industry is going to look like. You can, believe it or not, go on to Alibaba today and for about 98,000 US dollars buy a hydrogen-fueled compact, uh, garbage compactor truck. That's right, you can be part of the hydrogen industry as well. So what's interesting about this chart for me is that the large industry like chemical, steel, road transport, are clearly the ones that we need to target for hydrogen. And there's several different types of hydrogen, as we all probably know. There's gray, right, there's blue, but green hydrogen, which is only 1% of current production right now, is where I'm really interested in. And China just, this picture on the right with the floating little hydrogen producer, can develop hydrogen for I think it's 3,500 households. And this is just a pilot. They just announced the first ever uh, test in China of creating green hydrogen direct from seawater without desalinization, which is very interesting. If, you're, if you know anything about hydrogen or green hydrogen, this is like a huge breakthrough. And China, breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough, I think, are going to be leaders in green hydrogen within the next few years. Why? Because they're targeting in a very planned out way at an industry level and city level how to implement this. What's really interesting about China is, is that every single particular technology that you can possibly think of, they are piloting at city level. So the green hydrogen for steel one of the interesting things is the city that is the largest producer of steel is also now a pilot for green hydrogen, hydrogen for steel. And downstream customers are already calling for working together on pushing for this production, whether it's BMW or Benz and the largest steel companies like Bao Steel. So China, being the world's largest hydrogen producer and consumer, as well as the largest steel producer and consumer, I think is going to very quickly produce results that we can now then bring to all of the Belt and Road countries. If you look at Malaysia, our next door neighbor here, the CRRC just implemented the world's first hydrogen smart train. And this is something that you can refuel in two hours with a lot fewer refueling stations. So the next country they're bringing this to are the jungles of Bolivia. So you can imagine that hydrogen smart trains are gonna be much more interesting than EV powered trains very quickly. 
So hydrogen, I highly recommend that you don't blink because just like clean energy, just like smart grid, just like eco cities, just like LED lighting, just like green bonds, if you blink, China is going to become the world's leader. The next one that I would like to take a look at is small nuclear fission reactors. Now, this is something that is very controversial depending on which country you're in, but China has full, fully committed to nuclear power, and now it's 5% of the energy mix. The small nuclear fission reactors are very interesting, and just last month in August, Linglong produced a pilot, small nuclear fission, the world's first small nuclear fission reactor. So a whole city is basically creating a supply chain around this technology. To me, that's really exciting when you have an entire city focused on the supply chain for one technology. And it's not just nuclear fission, but it's the artificial sun of nuclear fusion, sort of the holy grail of energy. Right? One is producing energy without emissions. That's nuclear fusion. The second one is batteries, energy storage. And the third one is transmission. Well, nuclear fusion, there's this entire city in China that is essentially com committed to proving nuclear fusion by 2049. Now, anybody who's been following this, this is a little bit sci-fi, and most people don't think that we can even do this, but China just produced, I think it was like 600 seconds of nuclear fusion. That's pretty exciting. A lot of people don't think about carbon sinks as exciting when they think about net zero, but China is the world's largest country in terms of reforestation. And they're going to be setting a goal of 30% of all of the land in China to be covered by forest. Now, I just came from UN Climate Week, and I do have to say I was a little perturbed when an MIT professor, my school, talked about how there was a, some research that said even if you plant a trillion trees, it won't make a significant dent in going net zero. But I would like to tell you as investors that these types of things have a much more holistic benefit than just carbon, right? We talk, if you look at the Los Plateau, does anybody know what the Los Plateau is? Okay, wow, interesting. Okay, so it's the northern part of the country. It's the size of Belgium. And the World Bank spent 10 years giving loans to something called Grain for Green. And it literally went from a desert to completely green and the people there, the farmers, went from $70 uh, income to $200 income just because of the diversification of the trees and the fact that there was agriculture uh, in that region. Again, the size of Belgium. And I think after the 10 years, now it's the size of France, this one area. So reforestation has a lot of benefits, not just net zero. One of the interesting things that I also heard from the UN Climate Week is, is that carbon actually is not the thing that we should just be focused on, right? So it's not, climate change is not just about carbon. We have to think about things much more holistically. And I'll show you some of these examples in a second. The next one that I'm very excited about personally because I worked in Smart Grid for several years 
is superconductors and transmission lines. A lot of people don't think about this, but if you're in a city and you have transmission stations in the city, that's actually a huge source of heat, which then you have to use air conditioners, which then requires more energy. So the, one of the three holy grails that I just mentioned is room, conductor, room temperature superconductor materials. Just a couple months ago, I believe, Korea announced that they possibly found one of these materials that operated at room temperature. And then all of a sudden, next Monday, all of the China mainland stocks went up, up to 20% based on this. Shanghai in 2021 actually implemented this first uh, ultra high voltage transmission line. So these are something, this is something that isn't necessarily sexy. You might not hear about it when you think about renewables or net zero, but the grid is 10% of our energy use. So take a look at materials as something that investors should look at. Hundreds of billions of dollars will go into this market alone. The next thing that really shocked me recently is Xinjiang. I know this is very controversial, depending on which country you live in. But Xinjiang, you might think of it as desert, but it actually has a lot of water as well. It has now, I think just days ago, launched the first pilot of creating a seawater-like uh, environment to create aquaculture for seawater fish in Xinjiang, which if you know where that is, it's inland. <laughs> and if you have been following Fukushima and how Japan is now draining Fukushima water, China is now banning fish from Japan. So now where is all the sushi in Shanghai going to come from? Xinjiang. So if you want to look at investments, look at aquaculture very closely because China has been very diligently under people's noses removing private fishing vessels by tens of thousands per year and reducing wild sea catch in order to be more environmentally sustainable. Does anybody know what percentage of our fish stocks are actually depleted out of 100%? Can, can anybody take a guess? 80, did you say 80? Yeah, it's 77%. So over 50%, I think it's like 54% are completely depleted. So this is very shocking. So if you eat fish, you should be investing in aquaculture in China. <laughs> now, this is something that I, I actually wasn't sure if I wanted to include at a lunch meal. Um, but as we know, China ha is the only country to have a pig reserve. And one of the interesting things that I learned recently was that Russia, in its desperate attempt to have an income and to see where they can make an income from China, one of the biggest opportunities for income is actually growing pigs to sell pig ears to China. So pig farms are now one of the biggest opportunities, believe it or not, in sustainable food. 
In 2018, does anybody know what percentage of the pig population in China was wiped out by the African swine flu? 40% of the entire pig population in China by one pandemic. And so, of course, China, for national food security reasons, wants to figure out how to grow pigs or farm pigs, whatever the right verb is, without all the methane, right? Pig farms are one of the worst possible emitters uh, in, towards climate change. And food is 30% of all emissions that go towards climate change. So this pig farm tower, you can see, is a NASA-like command center. And each floor has different stages of the growth of the pig. And it's a, like a biohazard lab. So to get in and work, you have to take a bath before. You have to take a swine flu swab. Then you have to go into the decontamination bath. Then you have to go into the dry, uh, dry lab, or they blow you dry for half an hour. And then uh, you have to wash your hands again. Then the next day you have to take a bath again, just to work in this farm. All of the waste turns into biogas, and the next door cement plant uses the waste heat to give the pigs comfort, comforting hot water, hot water baths, and floor heating. So this is very interesting for any country that doesn't have as much arable land like China. It's the same size as the US, but it's a much less arable land. In fact, there's 120 million hectares of arable land in China, but 100 million hectares of salty soil, salinated soil. Very few people who aren't interested in sustainable food like I am have been following seawater rice. But in the last several decades, one man led, who's now passed away, Mr. Young, research on hybridized rice that can grow in salted soil. And this was successful. And in fact, last year in 2022, they actually doubled the yields of one plot in Qingdao. It's so successful that Dubai, I believe it was in 2018, worked with these Chinese seeds and had the first harvest in a desert. And now UAE is going to take 10% of their land and make seawater rice patties to feed the entire Arabian Peninsula. And other countries are asking for China's help as well for the seawater rice. Now as investors, you can come in and say, how do I package this interesting colored rice with a slightly different taste with, you know, takes a little bit uh, longer time to cook or more water? And how do I package this in a really cool way for the retail market? But seawater rice is going to be the answer to food poverty. So those are some examples. Um, I, I think I almost ran out of time, but I just barely made it. Have you been inspired by at least one of these examples? If you have, raise your hand. I would love for somebody to invest in one of these. That is awesome. Are you guys surprised now after seeing these examples that China is the leader in going green in, the, in all of the world? 
Is anybody still surprised? Okay, good. One of the things that I was really concerned about, again, just coming back from UN Climate Week, I'm on a few boards with um, one of the leading climate scientists, Johan Rockström of the Potsdam Institute. He's the guy who invented the planetary boundaries concept. And do you know that out of the nine planetary boundaries, he says that we've passed six. So, so planetary boundaries means if we pass them, we're dead, right? In extinction. And so he came to me, and we were talking about China, and he was like, you know, sort of an attitude about China. He's like, China doesn't give us data. They sort of hand wave. And so I put him in touch with somebody who helped me start Juice, the founder, one of the co-founders of McKinsey China. And I said, look, this is the guy that you need to talk to here at the UN Climate Week. Because it's, it's not that there isn't data. It's that you haven't come to China to have tea with the people who have the data. And this was also a problem at the World Economic Forum and AMNC recently, that a lot of the people that were foreigners who came to China were like, it's really difficult to get to China still. Even a Japanese man, it took him five trips to the consulate to get a visa. It's getting easier now. And so what I hope you will do after seeing these really cool examples is book a flight to China and see how exciting these opportunities are. Thank you so much, Bank of Singapore. This podcast was brought to you by Bank of Singapore.